Welcome to Life on Planet Earth with John Aiden Byrne. We have complete, completely no worries to a lot of areas that the Americans do have worries, right? That relates to healthcare. We have top-notch healthcare, and it doesn't differentiate between income brackets. It's the same for everybody, and it's great. So it's not something you have to pay for. It's something you have to think about. Same goes for education. You don't have elitist education, you don't have bad education, you just have the same education, right? So equality of health and equality of opportunity is very prevalent. Well, hello again, and this is your host, John Aidan Byrne, and you've just been listening there to Fegard Haviland, a young entrepreneur in Norway I met and interviewed this year at the Startup Extreme Conference in the picturesque town of Foss in this enchanting Nordic nation. Now, since Norway is frequently ranked the very happiest or among the happiest nations on the planet, I was intrigued by Vegard's responses to my various questions. Among them, did the natives in this oil-rich nation of some 5 million inhabitants in Norway, scenery to take your breath away, mountains, glaciers and really beautiful deep coastal fjords and yes, long dark winter months, live up to that accolade as the happiest. And what exactly would make them so happy? The World Happiness Report ranks Norway a top leader in happiness based on GDP, social support, health, freedom and perceptions of corruption. And I must say on the surface, Norway is one hell of a happy nation. My wife Margaret and I had a very happy time there in Oslo and Foss uh, when we visited uh, to go to the Startup Extreme conference. We met friendly locals, saw really wonderful public monuments and sites and the locals were great and once they opened up things got even happier. Norway is modern, clean and tidy and orderly and everywhere people seem on the surface happy. But then I thought to myself, was this all just a Facebook moment and no disrespect to Facebook, which I use frequently, but everyone here seems so happy it couldn't be real. So were they covering up something underneath, uh, some sadness, anxieties, were they denying the reality of human suffering? In other words, was all this too good to be true? So when I got back to the US, I asked Dan Mitchell, an expert on the Norwegian economy and a libertarian economist, former senior fellow at the Cato Institute, and he is also founder of the Center for Freedom and Prosperity, for his opinion. I'm not sure I put a lot of uh, faith in these cross-country surveys, uh, what's the culture, Uh, how do people answer questions. Historically, Latin American nations have always come across as uh, among the happiest in the world. Uh, That doesn't mean you want to copy their economic policies. Uh, Sometimes Switzerland is the most happy, and they have more economic freedom than we have in the United States, a smaller public sector. Uh, Sometimes Denmark is the most happy. Like Norway, they have a big welfare state. So so I don't really... uh, So there you have it. As Dan describes it, Norway has much going for it economically and on the political scale, but it is also a bit of a schizophrenic case, weighed down with heavy welfare payments and some of the highest taxes on the planet. 
Stay tuned for this latest episode of Life on Planet Earth, where I caught up in Foss, Norway with Fagard Haviland over beers and celebrations in the main marquee at this year's Startup Extreme Conference. A voyage of discovery in an uncommon age of unparalleled scientific, economic, political and social upheaval, Life on Planet Earth searches for the unvarnished truth, answers, solutions, and above all, hope for our existential crisis. Fegard Haviland, a native of the touristy harbour town of Bergen, Norway, may be typical of the young, dynamic entrepreneurs emerging in Norway who are bracing for a future without oil. Fegard, still in his 20s, has lived all over the world, attending boarding school in the UK on a scholarship and working in places as far apart as the US and Spain. Fegard gave me his honest accounting of Norway today, from high taxes and prospects for innovation to a sheer lack of religious devotion among a large cross-section of the population. But i got to be honest, Fegard was a very happy lad to talk to. I've been now in the Norwegian startup ecosystem for uh, about four years. First as a founder and now having the having had the investor angle for about three years, working with um, educating Norwegian investors on how to invest in, in early stage tech. And what you have to understand is that we're we're lagging somewhat behind in the sort of like the, the, the traditional tech world of pre- funding companies, pre-revenue, that sort of thing. We haven't had the big of an ecosystem. Also, our market is very small, right? So we're 5 million people. Um, but since I've been here, there's a lot that's happened. There's a lot more capital drawn into it. There's a lot more uh, people are, are realizing that there's an option beyond going corporate. So you get more brains going into early stage companies. You have more talent coming in. And the Norwegian government through organizations like Innovation Norway and sponsorships like going through to, to companies like Startup Extreme, like at, we're at now, an Angel Challenge, is really helping to fuel it now. And we, there's a collective understanding, both in our politics and our, and our understanding now, that we're an oil-heavy country, but it's not going to last forever. And that's reflected in how we, how we um, invest the, the pension fund, the oil fund. Uh, and, and, and that's where we're headed now. So it's a, it's a very interesting, uh, interesting time. Although, again, it's a small ecosystem, so we're very dependent on, on uh, connecting with uh, bigger international markets, but also international ecosystems and money systems and, and whatnot, because we're Norway. It's a very oil-rich country. Definitely. Uh, but a lot of commentators have said that Norway ultimately will have to become dependent on other areas because the oil eventually will run out. Definitely. And do you think that has diminished or enhanced innovation in Norway? Uh, if there was less oil, would there be more innovation? Or how do you see it? Well, that's, that's interesting. Um, well, I mean, we, we do have, we've always had a lot of innovation in the, you know, offshore and oil industry, right? So that's, but that's very specific innovation that impacts part of the country. Uh, and it seems to me that we've just recently been waking up and catching up to the rest of the world in the, in, in the more generalized technology world that we're all read about today. Um, but, but no, I definitely think it's, 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 it's a positive thing. Also just because um, 
the way our government is organized, the way we think about life and how we uh, conduct ourselves now. Uh, man, we, we, ha we have a, it's building up quite a, quite a rigid and logical ecosystem that then now is then supporting and fueling these new initiatives and these new companies. Well, when, when I'm talking about eco, uh, an ecosystem now, I'm, I'm thinking about um, in entrepreneurship, you're starting companies, lots of people who, who have an idea to start a company on their own or with a couple of co-founders. They're not particularly well equipped in all sides of their business. So if you have an ecosystem with uh, companies or initiatives or organizations that provide um, uh, that provide advice uh, uh, either inexpensively or for free, it could be office space, it could be lawyers, it could be just general insights, it could be access to conferences, access to people that can advise you that has an accelerating effect on uh, on a single company or as 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 call it the ecosystem as a group of companies as a whole so now so so what you're seeing now is that over the last say five years we're now actually developing startup ecosystem so you as an entrepreneur you no longer have to be in your basement by yourself you can you can come out and there's lots of people who are interested and willing to help you out which means you can grow more quickly and you won't die as fast and you have a lot more opportunities. And a lot of this, a lot of these uh, uh, initiatives are uh, directly or indirectly fueled and financed by the government, uh, which is indirectly by all money. Uh, what was it like growing up uh, in Norway? Uh, what was it like in the school system and uh, what did you learn? Uh, I really enjoyed it. So I grew up in Bergen, as I said, right? West Coast. Um, in Norway, schools are public. Um, all schools essentially are public. Uh, the, the level, it doesn't really fluctuate. Like I know in the UK, for example, in the US, where you have different public schools in different areas of different, uh, uh, different areas that have different wealth brackets, have different quality of schooling. That's not so much the case. So we have very much the equality of opportunity there. Mm -hmm. So our, our education system is very good. Um, and we always been presented with lots of, lots of opportunities and you always had a lot of choice which way you want to go and a lot of information about those different avenues. So I really enjoyed it, uh, definitely. Everything from outdoors to, uh, to sort of academic challenging uh, options, yeah. Is it a diverse system or do, do everybody go on one track or are there opportunities for vocational training, for IT training? Um, is it innovative? Does it lend itself to the modern demands so our education system definitely has its challenges in terms of its lagging behind. I, I do have my criticisms uh, that, it, that it should be uh, adopting more technology uh, and you know, catering to programming earlier on and a couple of these things. But um, you, you spoke about vocational training. Um, we're, we're quite big in vocational training. There's a very large percentage of our students that go into vocational training. And, 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 and particularly here, I mean, if you want to have a lucrative job, uh, one of the best things that you can do is become vocational trained. And you have to understand that... And, our, and we're talking about plumbers, carpenters, handymen. 100%, handymen, exactly. And also, I mean, our oil industry is catered to this well because, mm -hmm. um, because the offshore industry has a huge amount of vocational training. And so a lot of my friends growing up who's gone into vocational training earned, have, you know, earned way more money at 18 years old so than I do in they're middle class jobs. There, well, the, the, you have to understand that the, the, the class system that you're talking about doesn't really apply in the same way here as it would 
to I'm sure a lot of listeners to this podcast in the way that we have a lot more narrow class system in the way we don't really refer to ourselves as a class system right where the wealth gap is a lot smaller than uh, than most places in the world although interestingly it is growing bigger right because essentially uh, what in a historical context where it's interesting we've been quite poor for a very long time we haven't been poor in the sense that we've been you know struggling with hunger and these things but but in terms of education, in terms of just, we haven't had a lot of industry that's leading the world in any way. Uh, along comes the oil, along comes education, and it's distributed very publicly, which means... And you grew up during the oil boom and the continuing oil boom. 100%. Your generation. So my generation is the, kind of the first generation which the majority of parents have university backgrounds. Mm -hmm. uh, but we always have somebody in the family to refer to that has have had a blue-collar job. So everybody grow up relatively grounded. Everybody has a granddad has been a postman or a factory worker or a fisherman, um, which which is interesting because everybody also grows up working very young because wages are quite high. So I love, for example, I've been working in. I, I started working in the factory when I was fourteen part time. Okay. Uh, and that's very prevalent. So you'll see that every all the students are working um, during summer and uh, weekends. And so weekends, forth. summer, part time, all these things. We, I think. I, I believe sort of it's part of what grants us and also what steers us somewhat politically, right? Mm -hmm. um, this is, although it is changing now because now you have generations who grow up and they don't have their grandparents to refer to or their parents to refer to with these blue-collar jobs, right? Uh, uh, typically prevalent in Oslo, I would say more in other places, which is then leaning us more right than we have been before, politically as well. Mm -hmm. um, Norway ranks in surveys at the top of the happiness indexes worldwide. Yeah. Is that true? Is, our, is Norway a happy country? In practical terms, you mean? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> well, uh, also, okay, so, so now that I spent time abroad, I live in, in Madrid, for example, right? right? Where the culture is seemingly a lot more happier, a lot more uh, people would chat to you on the bus and so forth, right? Our culture is very uh, much more Northern European and German, so like people uh, aren't as open when you meet them initially. There's a little bit more of a coldness to it. Reserved. Yeah, cold that. Um, but once you get on the inside, people do open up very well and you have friends for your life, right? Um, no, I do I do think that people are very happy here. I mean, and there's a there's innate appreciation of nature, of simplicity here. They won't find. If you contrast it, for example, to the US, where I think the general person is perhaps more dreamy and more ambitious in a much more grandiose way, which is, if we want to circle back to sort of a tech entrepreneurial standpoint, can be a plus and a minus in a way, because in Norway we have something called which is um, essentially a social unwritten rule, which means that you're, you're not supposed to think that you're better than somebody else. That's right? a traditional it's very tricky, hundred percent. Which means that you'll see, for example, Norwegian founders will not be as braggy as they perhaps humility, should. Humility, humility, yeah. Humility, but in a startup sense, in a lot, of, in, in a lot of senses in society, it works out really well, mm -hmm. right? And it's a nice thing, and we appreciate it. In a startup sense, especially internationally, it can be often misunderstood because the rest of the startup world is used to having something small exaggerating like crazy whereas here you'll meet founders who have something really really good very good product but they'll downplay it like crazy and they won't get they, they really don't communicate on the same level 
right, right. So there's a certain reluctance here, is there, among founders to sort of take to the stage and accept honours and rewards and awards and fee- see their name on the you know gossip page and on the front page. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's I mean we we we're this is part of what we a big a big part of what we're working with when we're working with startups is to get them to be uh, comfortable with selling more and 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 being more forward. And also we are quite an engineering heavy uh, country and the engineers are typically the ones who are, are least apt to do this, right? Um, and especially you always have it when, when the Americans or the, the Anglos come over they, 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 ask, they don't understand because they, they see the pitch and they go this is a terrible country uh, company and then they ask to see their numbers or their tech and they go your tech doesn't correlate with your pitch at all why didn't you talk about your numbers or your tech right? and, and that has to do with that principle again so it's, um, it's a good thing but it also we need to modify it you need to what? Modify it. Modify it, yeah. I want to just go quickly back to the happiness because that's a big story yeah. in America. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. All, you know, you're in conversation. They're the happiest people on earth. So I wanted to come here to find out is that quite true. There's also another study, study which shows that a lot of young people suffer from mental illness. Mm-hmm. And, um, and separate to that, but also related, the dark nights here through the winter creates a lot of somber personality types is that true all right so let's break that down now uh so your first point here mentioning the u.s because i guess there's a there's a, there's a u.s audience in this right um there's a couple of components that very very much contrasts the u.s audience to us is that we have complete completely no worries to a lot of areas that the americans do have worries right that relates to healthcare. we have top-notch healthcare. And it doesn't differentiate between income brackets. It's the same for everybody and it's great. So it's not something you have to pay for, it's something you can think about. Same goes for education. You don't have elitist education, you don't have bad education, you just have the same education, right? So equality of health and equality of opportunity is very prevalent. Now going back to your point of our climate being what it is and having now you're here in the summer, which means that you probably haven't really experienced dark nights because it's very bright out. Very long nights. Very long I nights. I pull the curtain at 2 in the morning. And now you're in the south. <laughs> and now you're in the south. Which means in the north right now, it's midnight sun, right? Yes. But that also means, contrastingly, in winter, it is depressingly dark, right? Uh, you go to work, it's dark. You are sitting in an office or a factory, uh, and you get out, you, you, the time you go to go home, it's dark out. So you end up for months and months, you don't necessarily see the sun, depending on where you are in the country, but it's, it's quite prevalent. And definitely that has an impact on people's, um, people's mental health, 100%, 100%. But also, we're quite a well-traveled country by this point as well, right? We, we, we travel the world, we have the means to travel the world, the average person has the means to travel the world. So you'll see a lot of Norwegians uh, do their winters, they do travel to some of their places, things like that. And you'll see, you'll definitely, if, you, if you, you should come again, you should visit in winter and contrast with what you see in the city in summer. Yeah, I will come back. Because it's, uh, you will see a very different mental state, right? So in, if you go to Oslo now, everybody's outside, everybody's in shorts, everybody's very happy, yeah. Yeah. It's chatty. You come back in winter, everybody looks down, they know where they're going, because it's cold out, it's dark, they want to get home. And it's where our word cozy comes from. So we have, uh, uh, we have a word called kusali. Which we have different words to describe different coziness levels, which essentially comes from that we spend a lot of time, particularly in winter, at home, and we don't have this sort of Mediterranean going out and enjoying ourselves. And that is because in winter, 
you don't really want to leave your house, yeah. right? You want to have a nice inside. How do you heat your homes? What do you mean heat your homes? Uh, do you use electric oil or do oh. you use solid oh, no. fuel? It's, so um, we're we're pretty much 100% hydro electricity. Okay. Um, and so it's all electric. And electricity is very cheap. So yeah. it's not really something that we're. It's very green as well. So we don't really uh, we don't really think about that. Yeah. And also. Um, you know, you talked about all the generous uh, social welfare system, as it were, um, education, health benefits, and uh, everybody is taken well care of. That would be described, I guess, in the United States and in other areas as the nanny state. You know, the government is paying all that yeah, through the taxpayer. Maybe somebody call it socialist. So, so right? that's exactly it. It's a socialist system. Are, are you depends depends on the viewpoint. But yeah, uh, what's your viewpoint on that? Um, well, I think it's a difficult question because it, it depends where your argument comes from. I think it's very difficult to be absolutely uh, have a political view, ideally. So say that I'm a socialist or I'm I'm, I'm a capitalist because it depends where you're from in the history of the country. No. So, I, um, from our perspective, we were poor collectively, right? We organized ourselves in a collective way that made sense back then because. Everybody was in the shit together. Why don't we make a system that, that everybody contributes from, right? Then, consequently, we, we ran into great oil wealth, right? But we had a very collective system, collective system to receive that oil wealth, which means that that oil wealth was distributed very fairly, right? Now, contrast that to essentially any other rich country. Uh, and you see, they have a much greater and longer history of extreme wealth and extreme poverty contrasting, right? We, ha we didn't have that. We didn't have the big royalty or a big, big upper class. They didn't really lobby for their part of the cake. That didn't, that wasn't as prevalent. So here, it really makes sense because people aren't as reluctant to pay taxes for for example, in the US. You speak to an American and they hate taxes, right? Or say it's very contrasted. Well, some, some Americans. Some quite, Americans. Quite a lot. Depends on what side you are. Definitely, but in... I mean, if you're Bernie Sanders, you love but, taxes. But even, even, yeah. but even Bernie Sanders fans will have a bigger reluctance to taxes than we do. What, what, I, I'm going to... Because I, I was um, taken aback, as it were, when I, we had a meal in Oslo and we looked at our VAT, our taxes, at 25%. And I think on travel, it's something less. And workers typically pay up as much as 50% on their income tax. And I did an informal survey and nobody blinked an eyelid except one or two people who I regarded as the sort of entrepreneurial type. He said it's, it's, it, it, it saps the motivation. It's just, you know, it, 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 it wants me to do stuff under the counter as it were. Okay, very interesting points because I, 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 I sympathize with both sides of his arguments, right? Um, and especially if you, especially if you're a modern day tech company, this is becoming an issue. Essentially, this is, it's, a particular, it's a particular side of our tax code that is difficult. One, one argument is generally a very, very tax society. One thing, actually our income taxes are lower than you think, but we're ta we tax everything else as well. So all, like the, the absolute tax is high, right? Yeah, right. So, so that's no argument. Um, but what becomes troublesome for building new companies, new industries, which we should be doing a lot of and we're trying to do, is is taxes on ownership, right? And this is where, because we live in a society now where, where the global tech companies are worth billions and billions of theoretical dollars before they eventually become public or even then. Um, uh, and a lot of them are still worth billions of dollars years after they're not earning money, right? We're, we haven't catered to this, which means that 
I have wealth taxes, right? So if you're an entrepreneur and all of a sudden your valuation of your privately listed company is, um, say, a billion dollars, you're, you're stuck with a ta theoretical tax bill on your theoretical ownership of some theoretical value, yeah. and you will, might have, have to end up selling some of your stake in your own privately held company based on pre-revenue funding, for example, uh, to pay taxes on that pre-revenue funding, which is a big problem. That is, that is a very big criticism. So that's something that we, as this ecosystem, is working towards lobbying towards changing. So uh, America just uh, under Donald Trump lowered its corporation tax and Ireland has one of the lowest yeah. in the world and it's uh, claimed or stated and I guess the evidence would show that it has attracted a lot of multinationals. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, people would also argue that you know Ireland and other countries are just a tax haven and the money yeah. is just getting washed through. Yeah, the trickle-down effect isn't really as prevalent yeah, as we you know, And long-term, there could be other damages. What's your corporation tax? What's your... Um, our corp, uh, I've got to think now, but it's in the, it's, it's like 24, well, yeah, it's like 24, 25% um, our corporation tax, uh, but the corporations have a lot more taxes. So the bottom line tax is something, but we also have like employee taxes. So like if you employ somebody, it's very expensive to employ somebody. Yeah. You have to pay employee taxes on somebody. So typically your old times, so if I ha if, if it costs, say it costs $100,000 to employ you, uh, that's your salary. It'll cost me about 1.5 times your salary to actually employ you, which is um, which is good for employee rights and that sort of idea. But in the world now, we're moving more towards temporary work, flexible work, and in, in when we're trying to build up industries where where we need employment, but uh, companies are funded uh, uh, doesn't have as much funding. And you, all of a sudden, you, you, you try to grow, you employ a lot of people. And if there's a conflict, it's very hard to get rid of those people and it's a very high cost. That becomes a very, very big problem and is, it is, in some cases, a big reason why companies fail. So it, it has both sides to it. And it's definitely, in the tech, in the tech scene, it's a negative aspect. Um, and just on the tax uh, side as well, another interesting um, dynamic. Um, it's progressive in other areas, for example, if a police officer uh, stops a, a millionaire on the highway at a FOSS for driving too fast, mm -hmm. he will be fined in proportion to his income, correct? Absolutely, yeah. And there was a case recently of a very wealthy uh, Norwegian fined something hundreds of thousands. And, uh, I mean, people's eyes glazed over outside of Norway, but they figure... Here, that's par for the course. Um, I don't have too many opinions on this. I haven't reflected much on it. I know it exists, and I haven't really blinked an eye. Yeah. Um, I, my gut feeling, without having thought about it too much, is that it's pretty fair. Uh, also, I mean, in the traffic, in a in the traffic example, right? You're putting somebody's life at risk to a certain level. Um, you get given a fine, and I think it would be unfair if it hits somebody in a big way, but somebody not for the same violation, and it ruins somebody's economy. But while it wouldn't ruin somebody else's economy, it's exactly the same violation. So I think I think proportional taxes in that sense is not necessarily a bad idea, mm -hmm. without having read up on it too much. No, I understand. I understand. But if I had I hadn't been aware of it, and uh, I, I thought of the counter arguments would be that they could target 
you know, if they wanted to do um, a treasury uh, program yeah, accumulation, right. you could have a target three. Right. And, and some people would, re- would regard it as kind of a theft, really, of capital, you know. Then, by, 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 by the same token, why not charge a millionaire more to buy a packet of groceries in the store versus a poor guy? Well, but then, you know, the packet of groceries thing is, is, is not a penalty in a way, right? Correct. And, and it's, it's not something that you, you don't make a societal mistake and get punished accordingly. So I, so I, I don't think that comparison is necessarily fair. Um, but no, it's an interesting but, thing that but, you bring but, up. But it's, it's a unique. It's a. It's, it's definitely a, unique. It's, yeah. it's, it's certainly unique. Um, what's your other thoughts about <laughs> Norway? Um, where do you see it in ten years' time? Oh, that's. Oof, that's difficult. That's very difficult. Um, and will they, will they be able to live beyond the oil revenues in a generation? Because this is interesting. This is something that we. It's. It's something that we talk about a little bit as well, especially, you know, we talked about our welfare system, right? Yeah. And we, as other countries in Northern Europe um, and other places in the world, have this um, uh, population pyramid that's not exactly helping us out. Yes. Um, that, that, that means, especially in terms of our health system, it's sure. going to cost us more and more. And also, sort of, in other words, an aging population. Absolutely. You have that here in... 100%. Right. Very bigly as well. Very like in, big. Yeah, hundred percent. So the only way you're going to solve that, I'm, I'm presuming, is immigration. Absolutely. That is that. My personal view is that as well. Also, by the way, I've done while working. We talked about people working a yeah. lot when they're young. When I was studying, I, I worked as a home nurse yeah. as the side. So that means I I, uh, I got to go and see all sorts of uh, destinies. Let's put it like that, right? And uh, one thing that hit me is that um, when our age pyramid really hits in a big way, one thing is the financing, another thing is the who, who is going to do all this work, provided that we have all this money. Yeah. Um, and, and you'll see, I mean, we, there's already a lot of immigrants in the health system, which is a good thing, but you need to integrate somebody before you have them do intimate things with you in a nice, in a way that's interpreted in a good way that doesn't degrade our system, that sustains it or improves it, right? Um, which is uh, not, which is one of my criticisms now is is, uh, is that we're, we're, at least that is my feeling that we're increasingly immigration hostile. Um, which I think is very short-sighted because these things are coming and we definitely people we can't uh, we can't, uh, we you know, we can't fix it in one year. We need to slowly integrate people so they can become effective and do good jobs and all these things. Um, so it's def- that is definitely going to be a problem. But then again, what we have as our trump card is uh, is our oil wealth that we've been managing in a very good way, right? Uh, but if we mess up too badly, we we're going to drain that quicker than we would like to would like to. Um, just quickly talk about is, is, is Norway a religious country or post-Christian and how or is it a secular society um, in my view obviously my generation that kind of view but uh, uh, post-Christian definitely secular yeah where religion doesn't play a part in anything really that we we don't have any particular religious parties uh I know very, very few people who are religious in any way that impacts their decisions in any way. 
So maybe the previous generation, they were more yeah. church going and 100%. Sunday mass attendance and so, so forth. So I think it started. So my obviously my parents are brought up Christian. The and, the, and Lutheran, Lutheran is, is, is the Lutheran church the dominant one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so my so so my. In parents, fact, I, this morning I was over checking out the Lutheran church here. That was previously. The Catholic Church, and then during the Reformation, yeah. they switched over. They yeah. did a switcheroo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I am yeah. a Catholic, and they wanted to charge me to see it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I, it's an interesting point that you make. We love, obviously, we have a lot of Christian traditions, right? We, yeah. we, we, we get married, we get confirmed, we get baptized. I'm baptized to please my great grandmother just before she died. Um, but for some, my parents are both raised Christian, but in a softer way and also they were educated in a different way so they their style of educating me and my brother was like most of Norway is let's not let's not stare them into anything it's their choice so my parents did not force me into anything they didn't pressure any way they didn't really really they didn't really do anything in terms of religion they said it's your choice I don't want to influence it in any way so Basically, my entire generation, when, when obviously we have some isolated, uh, you know, island communities here and there, which exceptions, but essentially we're, we're not really in this country by now. Here's Dan Mitchell again, the economist who co-founded the Center for Freedom and Prosperity. Norway has the same demographic challenges you have all throughout the Western world in terms of uh, increasing lifespans, uh, falling birth rates, and when you have a welfare state, and instead of having a traditional population pyramid with a few old people and lots of young people, instead when you have a population cylinder, uh, those welfare states become increasingly untenable. Uh, so in the long run, Norway has a problem. The United States has a problem. Germany has a problem. Japan has a problem. That's just a, an endemic problem uh, in the Western world. I traveled all the way from the United States, where I am based, to the Startup Extreme conference this year in Norway. So now I'm going back to Norway native and entrepreneur, Fegard Haviland, who has the last word in this episode. So it's a good time to be young in Norway? It is a great time to be young in Norway. Well, I know people also call you Benji, so... I'm going to sign off by saying thank you very much for the attention. <laughs> Pleasure. Pleasure. Great to have you here. Okay. You've been listening to Life on Planet Earth with John Aiden Byrne. To reach the host or learn about advertising or sponsorship opportunities, call 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com. That's 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com. 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com.